0: You know, I really believe that we as a Dream Center are crossing over into something new. Yeah, and and we are arriving at a defining point in our journey. I'll just let that settle. Some of us are so familiar with what you've got, you don't know where you're going. And you don't know how to value what you've got. Some of us are on a journey. And we're arriving at a very defining point in our church. I don't believe we should be waiting for God any longer. Hello. I don't believe we should be waiting for God any longer. I believe God is telling us to get up, stand up, do what you do what you know with what you've got. Not everyone saying Amen. It's time to do what you've got with what you know and what you've received, rather than keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I've not got enough, I don't know enough, haven't received enough. You have, you've received the fullness. Don't confuse what you know with what you've received. Don't confuse what you know with what you've received. The Bible says you've received the fullness. From the fullness of him, you have received. But do you know that fullness? No. You don't need to know all that God knows. You just need to know what you need to know. Amen? You haven't got the capacity to know all that God knows. That's why he's God. And if you knew what he knew, then you would put yourself on par with him and say, I don't need you because I know what you know. You'll never know what God knows. But you can have a revelation of him. That's what you must know. What you can know and what you should know or must know are two different things. You know, the Roman centurion who came to Jesus, he had compassion on his servant. And he said to Jesus, I ain't waiting any longer. I don't need to wait. I don't need you to to come to my house before you do something. Just say the word. If you just say the word, that's enough for me. My heart will capture it. I know my servant will be healed. And when I go home, I know you'd have already been to my house. A bit like a Santa Claus. Got there before you did. He got there. All he did was say his word. You know, if God speaks to you today and he says something, it's fixed. It's fixed. If he speaks, it's going to happen. When you speak, it doesn't always happen. But when he speaks, it will happen. And this centurion understood that one word from Jesus and it'll happen. Just one word. So he took him at his word. And he learned to function by the breath of God. The very breath of God. One word from God can set you free. You've got to learn to gather evidence. I keep telling us this. You must gather your own evidence. What do you mean, Pastor? If I tell you God is this, you must gather your own evidence to prove it. It must become a reality in your own life. If I keep telling you God is love, but you never experienced love, you've never got the evidence. What I'm saying is truth, but you don't have the evidence. True? If you are someone who's been caught in uh, adultery, and I tell you, and you are really turned up inside that you can't get forgiven, and I tell you there is one who can forgive you, but you don't listen to me, have I got the evidence that the one who can forgive, forgives? Yes, Because I've got the forgiveness living inside me. But the person who needs it, if they don't gather their own evidence, they'll never know what the man is saying is true. And that's the trouble with with much of the church. We listen to truth, but we have no evidence in our own lives. We don't take to heart what's being said, and we never develop it as truth in our own lives. So it's never your truth. And then what happens is, when you're in a crisis, you try to borrow truth. But it's still not your truth. You can't borrow someone else's truth. It has to be your truth. It's your faith. But so many people come, will you pray for me? Why? Because you've got something I don't have. And if I can borrow what you've got to get what I need, then I don't need what you've got after that. I've just got what I wanted. You can't live your Christian life on some, what someone else has got. True? Can you imagine living in a family and your mum says, yeah, we've got food in the cupboard, but you can never have any. But we've got food. And the evidence is all the food's in the cupboard, but you've never got any inside you. And every night they eat their food and they tell you how wonderful the food is, but you've never got any food inside you because they won't give it you. It's got to be yours. So when someone tells me cauliflower cheese or fish and chips or whatever it is, if someone says to you, bacon sandwiches, because that gets all our goats, doesn't it? The bacon sandwich. Bacon sandwich. When you smell bacon, you've got evidence of how good it tastes. True? That's if you are not (laughs) vegetarian. But it still smells good. (laughs) Oh, let's try chips then. (laughs) Let's try chips. Bacon. (laughs) Bacon will do. Everybody knows what bacon tastes like. True? Why? You've got the evidence. So the smell only backs up the evidence. You get that? Is that, is that a good revelation? Is that the, that's the revelation according to the takeaway menu. There's something about certain smells that find it hard to resist. Truth should be hard to resist. Easy to accept, hard to resist. That's the nature of our truth. You've got to learn to gather some evidence in your life. If you don't, if you've got no evidence, it's just hearsay. But I know my God can do. Amen. See, we've got to stop asking God to put fleeces down on the ground. We've got to start living by faith. Start walking by faith. You've got to stop walking by what you see, what you feel. And you've got to start walking by the one you know. The one who speaks, the one who speaks in the storm. You've got the power to rebuke your own wind and waves. Why? Because He's given you that power. I don't need somebody to come and rebuke it for me. If I do, that's fine. But I've got all that I need to rebuke my own wind and waves. I've got His word, I've got His name, I've got His power. Wow. Jesus told His disciples, Go and do with what you've received, go and do. We just sit and learn, but there's a time to go and do. We can't keep sitting and learning. Sitting and learning is good. This is good on a Sunday because this is empowerment time. This is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. But there comes a time when we must go and do with what we're receiving. You see, if you don't, you can't take truth and you never go and do, then church is not the place for you. Church will never be the place for you. There's nothing worse than sitting, being, going somewhere where you don't want to be. How many kids go to church because the mums make them? How many husbands are sat in church because the wives force them? 1000000s Millions. Millions. You'd be surprised. How many are going to church because they got to a, that's the social group? People are going to church every day for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons. Matthew 9 37 says, that I'll, I'll go to it, I'll read it because I want you to turn to some other scriptures. Don't want to tie you out. <laughs> then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why do you suggest that Jesus said this? Because he knows. People will not take him at his word. He knows there are some things that God knows that you don't know. And he tells us to pray for a need. The kingdom has a need. It, has, it needs workers. It doesn't need sitters. It doesn't need just listeners. It needs workers. And, and Dream Center, may I politely but forcefully announce to you, we are a gathering a workforce. We need a workforce in the house. We don't need a listening force. We don't need a force that just listens and then resists. We need a workforce. Why? Because we're about our father's business. And we, are, we want to see the kingdom advance. We don't just want a gospel. We want the gospel of the kingdom. We've, got the, we've received the gospel of salvation. Now we need to move into the gospel of the kingdom. Because the gospel of salvation brought us to the cross. Brought us through the cross. But the gospel of the kingdom is beyond the cross. Yeah. Amen. The workers understand the kingdom. The workers understand and see the need of the kingdom. Because the kingdom has a king. Sometimes this thought came in my mind yesterday. I wonder if they call it kingdom because we've got a king and we've got dumb people. This thought came in my mind yesterday. is it we've got a king but we've got dumb people. So it's a king Dumb. No. We've got a king. We haven't got dumb people. Dumb, not dumb. God has not died for a, so he could be king and we could be dumb. The only thing that's coming is the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. The only will that needs to be done is the one of the kingdom. The one of the kingdom king. Amen. So he says, pray for the harvest. Pray for the workers, should say. So many people pray for the harvest, but never consider themselves as a worker. So many people hide it in intercession and just think that's their job only. No, you still got the same commission to go. He didn't say, you just pray for the workers, but you're not a worker. You're a worker. So many people pray, but don't go. Hello? Pray for the harvest, because the harvest needs workers. It didn't say it just needs prayers. It didn't say it just needs intercession. It does, but it needs workers. People who will go. People who will pray and go. Yeah? Not just pray and sit. Every one of us can go. Every one of us can go. You see, in in the Second World War, we had a portion of men who stayed behind. We had the home guards. Those who were a little bit old, couldn't take the rough and tumble of the battle, stayed at home, looked after the ladies. That's a great job, isn't it? And they were like like the last bastion, the last stronghold. If Hitler got into Britain, that's it. You know, they defeated all our forces. The home guard's no good, is it? (laughs) Really isn't. So there is no such thing as the home guard in church. We're all called to be in the field. Hello? We're called to be watchmen who are in the field. So, go to Judges chapter 6, if you will, please. It's amazing that in the church, ministries and in people, irrespective of what they have got and what they've received, people will not go. There is a problem within our nation, within the church, people will not go. People are designed their pattern to sit and listen, but they are not designed to go. Hello? We've got to turn the church inside out. Hello? Not outside in, inside out. Let the world take a good look at us. Hello? Let the world take a good look at us. Because the judge, you see, how many of our people in this community know we are, we're here? The only know we're here because of our cars. Because you're parked in their bays. That can't be the only evidence, surely. That's, that's an evidence of anger. Frustration. We've got we've to give them a God evidence that what we're doing is, is of God and the kingdom. Heaven, the church is a gateway for heaven. And you're the church. Not this place. You're the church. So Gideon, the Lord said to, to Gideon, you know, like I say, we're coming on the backdrop of everyone's looking for evidence. You need your evidence. People are looking for evidence. Tell me your God works. Ah, ooh, I can tell you, but can I show you? Ah. Gideon falls in the same bracket. The Lord answered, I'll be with you. And I'll strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have... Now, if is a question. If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. I've just told you. I've just told you. I'll be with you. And I'll strike them all down, The Midian, all the Midianites together. Is that not just the word? he's just received. Yeah. Hello, church? Yeah. I'll be with you. Go. Go, Gideon. I'll be with you. Ah. Ah, 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 ah. If. No, 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 Gideon, there's no if. Just go. I've spoken. But if now I've found favour in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. How long are we going to keep playing this game? The Lord speaks this morning. Well, and you got all excited. You went out. You went home. You started thinking about it. Ah, yeah, but I think he knows about my situation. So if he knows about my situation, no, it can't be with God. Now he's speaking about what he knows, not what he doesn't know. So now we humanize it and we reduce it. When the word came to you, faith was there. But when you, start, when you went home and you rationalized it, you found every reason not to believe. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God. Amen. So Gideon, he says... I have, if, if I've now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that you really are talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering. And I said it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait. I'll wait until you return. I'll play your game. But you know what, church? That's exactly how we function. We wait until we return. Every, ch- every Sunday, we receive the word and we leave Jesus in the church Waiting for us until we return the following Sunday. And then he has to convince us all over again. And what we do, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh no, now i received that word. Yeah, I received that word. Yes, 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 I receive it. Oh God, thank you. Right. Then so we go out of church, we say, Jesus, you stay here. I'll go to work. I'll go and do I'll go and do my stuff, and then we meet him again the following week. And Jesus is still stood here waiting. Does that not sound familiar to most church Christians? We leave Jesus in church. We don't take him at his word. We don't go and do. So we leave him in here. Church, we need to repent. This is not option. This is our life. If you really are in the kingdom, you realize that when God speaks, it's for me. It's for us. We need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to what God is saying. It's not an option. It's not a just, well, perhaps a will. Come see, come sir. It's not. If God is speaking, if your father speaks to you at home, what does he demand? If your father speaks at home, he says, listen to me. And what happens? What do kids do? They think they know. Finish the sentence. They think they know better. Yes, dad, that was your generation, but we're now the hip, cool, tr- cool, tr- what do you call it? Cool 21st century. Dad, you don't know. You're old. Do they not do that? Of course they do. It's called them learning. But sometimes they're not aware of the consequences. But we've been there. We've, been, we've got the marks. We've got the evidence. But they've not got the evidence. So they think that you're saying you just, you're against them. You don't love them anymore. Has your kids never said that to you? Of course they have. Why? Because you was that kid once. I remember the times when I used to think, I'm going to beat my dad up. When I get older, I'm going to beat him up. It's true. It's true. One day I'm going to have you. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to show you I'm a man as well. Thank God that day never came. The moment you do that, you've gone. The moment you'll even say that and think that, That was the mind of a child. That was the mind of a reprobate. That's not me now. Thank God for that. I've got the evidence. And I can see it because I I saw him. I knew once I was like that, but now I'm not. So when our father speaks, he wants our attention. Our attention. We cannot leave him in church week in and week out and say, Lord, I'll be back next Sunday. Don't move now. Because when, he, when you come to church on Sunday, you expect someone to bring him. But you don't always bring him. And you expect Jesus to be here. You expect him to worship, to bring heaven. But you came into an atmosphere having nothing, brought nothing. So you borrowed. You're part of the borrowers. Mark chapter 16, verse 7, 17 says. So, just so before, when you turn to that one, just say something before we get to there. So Gideon is waiting, if I've now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. So what does Gideon need? A sign as evidence. So Jesus says, okay, I'll give you all the signs you need. He speaks to Mark in the New Testament. And he said, these signs will accompany those those who believe. Hello, church. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out. Demons. So just stop before we read the rest. One's waiting to get evidence before he goes. The other one says, as you do, you'll get all the evidence you need. Hello? You'll get all the evidence you need if you go and do what I tell you. Rather than wait, and I keep having to convince you and convince you and convince you, but you never do with all the convincing. It's a fleece today, it's something else tomorrow. Well, give me another prophetic word, Lord. Well, Lord, if you just prophesy over me today, Lord, I'll know it's you. So God prophesies. He's kind to you. He's merciful. Then there comes the time he says, no more. Now go and do. You're now becoming disobedient. You will not believe me. You will not stand in faith. I will not keep playing games. I'm tickling you every Sunday. Grow up, he says. Grow up. Stand up to your feet, he told Ezekiel. And as Ezekiel stood up, the Spirit entered into him. We read that last week. So as he he stood up, the Spirit entered into him and helped him stand to his feet. He said, now go and say. Some of us want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What for? For what purpose? So we can sit in church and speak in tongues? Please, let's get beyond that. Holy Spirit is not a game. He's not a toy we play with. He's a person. He's come to empower us to get the job done. It's not by might. it's not by your power. It's by the spirit of the Lord. That's why you need. Everything is by the Holy Ghost. So he says, these signs will accompany those who believe. What signs? Okay, in my name. Whose name? Jesus' name. So signs are a fruit of the name because the name has got power. Not your name, his name. And that name will drive out demons. That, those names, and they will speak in tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And I'm not suggesting you go and find a snake. Some of those guys in America, in their service, the church service, take this word literally, and they said, right, we'll play with snakes, poison a Some of them died. He didn't mean those kind of snakes, dipstick. He meant... Things that can bite you in life. Things that are poisonous. Things that will attack you. Things of the dark. Why would you need to pick a snake up? If you need to pick one up, fine. You've got dominion over animals anyway. I don't like snakes. God, why did you make snakes and spiders? Why, Lord? What was going through your mind? When you created snakes and spiders. Why? Only God knows. That's a revelation he has not yet given to me, as you can tell. For me, the best thing you can do with a spider is show it dominion. Put your foot on it. Send it to Jesus. (laughs) Because he said, I will tread on scorpions. And they'll pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Who's they who's going to place their hands? Us. So why don't we do it? So why do we wait for a Sunday for the pastor to do it? So last time we had everyone out praying, what did I do? Brought everyone out to pray. So to show you, but that can't be the only time we pray, why? Because it's safe in here. I'm going to look a right dipstick if I ask someone, can I pray for him in the street? So it's not all about you now. Well, what will happen if he doesn't get well? But what happens if they do get well? It, hey. What if, what if, what if, what if, if, said Gideon, if, if, perhaps, oh God, well, Lord, Perhaps if and well are all doubting words. What you're trying to do is you're waiting for a a full stop so you can get your viewpoint in. If, well, ah, whatever, however. Shut up, that's not the word. Okay, Lord, I'll do it, Lord. No matter how hard it seems, I'll do it. I'll go in your name. So he said, but if you do, if you go in my name, signs will follow you. Signs will follow you. So one's waiting for a sign before he does. The other one's told to go and signs will follow. So I know those two crowds are in here this morning. And you know the truth is, those two crowds are in every one of us. It's true. Some days when I'll do it and other days I don't. But thank God for the days I do. Amen. After the Lord, Jesus had spoken to them. Who spoke? After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. So what did they do? They exactly did what he told them to do. They went out and preached everywhere. No, I'm not suggesting tomorrow you go and stand in, in Ashton or you go to Manchester and you have one of those big plaques. You know what I mean? The end of the world is nigh. There's more chance of the end of your world coming than there is the end of the world coming. I don't necessarily think that's the best way to do it these days, though God uses all forms. I've learned that very, very specifically. In fact, I learned that lesson very early this year. No, sorry, last year. Someone in Drawsdon Precinct was doing the old, what I call the old form of evangelism. And I'm going to the bank and I'm thinking very cynically. Come on. Surely we must have moved on from that by now. And the Lord says, the Lord just showed me that scripture. He says, by all means possible, preach the gospel everywhere. And I just thought, oh, just, I just went, Lord, sorry. I wrote him off. And as I came out the bank, he was praying for two people on the street. And I went, boy, have I just not had a whipping. He used his all means possible. What did I use? Nothing. So it's easy for me to criticize the guy who was doing something. And I, I got a rebuke from the Lord and I took it on the chin. I went, okay, turn the other cheek. Okay, i learned a lesson. Don't criticize how someone's doing it. But I think there are better ways. I do think there are better ways. I think the best way is to befriend people. I do think the best way is to get to know people. But by all means, use what you've got. Because you might only get to talk to someone for 10 seconds. By all means possible. Use everything. All means. Yeah? Use everything you've got. Throw the kitchen sink at them if you've got it. Not literally. Because then you have to pray for healing. And the Lord, this is, and when the, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them. Listen. And confirmed his word by signs that accompanied. Is God's not a liar? God's not a liar. The one who tells you to go is the one who says, as soon as you go, I'll back you up. True? When you go to the bank for the loan and you tell the bank that you want the loan for whatever it is, you're supposed to use that money on that thing. They sanction that loan based on what you said you needed. And your criteria. Your credit rating. When Jesus gives his money. gives his power in advance. He knows it can do what it's supposed to do. And he told you to go and use it. Exactly how it's supposed to be used. So you get the maximum result. True? He's got confidence that it'll do what it says it will do. But only the church take it. And then use it for something else. Our credit rating is not very good. Because. We don't use what's been given. You see, when you get married and you take your bride or you take your your husband, you promise that you stood there showing what's on the tin. I promise to love you. I promise to give you all that's in my capacity to give you. You're telling the other person what she can expect or what they can expect. True? Kev, you'll understand this. I know you know this already, but you're promising this is who I am, this is what I can do, this is what I promised to be. And then she gets you, takes you home, and finds out you lied. And then she tries to bring you back, but there's no exchange. Because it's not like, you know, your statutory rights as a customer now, you can't take it back. You promised, you signed a contract, you're now liable to make good on your promise. Jesus has made good on his promise. Amen? So when you go, he'll work with us. When you go, he'll work with us. When you go, he'll work with us. When you go. If you go. If you decide to go. Or you can keep leaving him here every Sunday. You can keep leaving him here Sunday. Say, ah, Jesus, that's where you are. Thank goodness you're still here. Yeah, but while you've been out in the world... I've been out in the world as well. Do you think I'm so stupid to stand here and wait for you? He's not waiting for us, but we think we'll leave him here. See, the person who has knowledge, say, for instance, Phil has knowledge, is an, is an atheist, and I have knowledge. But Phil has a need inside him, but he doesn't know I know his need. Okay? So he gives me all his knowledge as to why God and Jesus and the Bible is not. He's a humanist. He is his own God. There's no room for faith. No room for any kind of faith whatsoever. He is his own God because he's humanist. Okay? So I debate with him. Guess what? All we're doing is having a debate. We're having a game of table tennis of information. Okay? But what happens if I carry power? If I carry power with knowledge and understanding and I use that power to discern his need and I say, the Lord's shown me you have a need in your heart. The Lord's shown me your past. What happens now is his knowledge means squat. It means nothing. Why? Because now a higher power has just come and read his data. True? So my knowledge now and my power has knocked any kind of knowledge he thought he had out the water. Why? Because now my knowledge has got evidence. I've brought my evidence with me. Yes? See, he's got no evidence what he's saying. He's got his opinion. And when you've got no power, all you've got is, well, I've got my knowledge. I know Jesus Christ. Never mind your knowledge. Bring your evidence. Lay hands on the sick. Not round his throat. Lay hands on the sick. Cast the demon out. Do something. Bring your evidence. Church is all talk, 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 but no power. And then we've got the other half. We're all power, power, power. and got no talk. Your gospel must be intelligent. It must have wisdom. It must show understanding. Tol- not tolerance, understanding. I'm not tolerant, a humanist. I'm not tolerating, I should say, a humanist. I know it's humanism. I can see it. I understand it. So I have to bring my faith to a point with with knowledge and understanding and wisdom. I have to present Christ to them in a very palatable way. But when the knowledge has ceased, we have to go to the power. And if I can use the spiritual gifts out in the marketplace, sometimes God says, shut up, Tony, just don't say anything. Just pray for them. And as you pray for them, something opens up. And as you open up, then, you, then your language is a lot easier. Because now you can see the Holy Ghost working on them. And you can see, I don't need to say, I don't need to come with all the encyclopedia. I can just minister to them right on the street. And help explain now what's going on, what's taking place. But we've got to go, church. We've got to go. I don't even if you know, but the world is not coming into Church. Stop expecting the world, God, to send the world into the church. We've got to go, the world, the the church has to go to the world. Amen? So the person who has knowledge is one person, but the person who has knowledge and power will always win every day. Amen? So after, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many. Convincing proofs that he was alive. Stop right there. Can you show me that you're alive? I know. I'm talking today. I'm not talking to you personally. I'm just looking at you. You're the good-looking one. I know David's alive because he's moving. Right. So I know physically, human, humanistically, I know he's, he's, he's moving because he's a pulse. He's alive. But let's put that in a spiritual context. Can you show me you're alive? What evidence do you have that that Christ is alive inside of you? Come on, church. That's a good question to ask us this morning. What evidence do we have? Well, we all worship. No, no, I said, what evidence do you have? What evidence do you have to show anybody that Christ is alive inside you? Well, I go to church. They don't see that. So big deal, you go to church. Even devils go to church. What evidence do you have that you are alive and Christ is alive in you? It's a fair question. It's not not an obstructive question. It's not meant to make you mad, sad, or glad, or bad. It's meant to wake you up. What evidence do I have that Christ is living inside me? Because without an evidence, no one will ever see. No one will ever want to approach me. I have nothing to give anyone. Don't tell people you go to church. You're not trying to sell them church. You're trying to give them Christ. Hello? Don't sell them church. Give them Christ. Church does not save your life. Church does not change your life. Christ changes your life. You become the church. When Christ changes your life and saves your life and transforms your life, you become his church. But the building doesn't change nothing. So what evidence do we have that Christ is alive? We're still talking about the days of heaven here on earth. The days of heaven here on earth need reality. They need evidence. We know heaven exists. But how many of us can show heaven? How many of us can walk under an open heaven? How many of us can pull down heaven in the marketplace? See, so much of what you, you have, you have blessings of God and you see the heavens open up over your own life. But can you give it to somebody else? The issue is, can you pass it? Can you pay it forward? Wow. So he suffered and, and, he, and after he showed himself to these men and he gave them many convincing proof that he was alive. Why? Because he once he was dead. The one who proclaimed, once I was dead, but now I'm alive, had to give evidence. And what did he say? I'm not just alive. I'm alive forevermore. He wasn't just alive. He was alive forevermore. Now I'm alive and you're alive forevermore because we've got eternity. So I'm not just alive, I'm alive forevermore. You kill me once, I still rise the other, on the other end. There's a good chance I could rise this end. But I still rise, you can't kill me. I'm indestructible. Yeah, you can kill the flesh, but you can't kill the spirit. But I'll rise with him. Why? Can I prove that? I can't prove that physically, but I can show you in the word. That's something I've got to go through myself. When I get to the other side, I'll shout from the side, I'm alive! Don't put your glass on the table and try and contact me. I won't be there. Some of you don't understand what that means, dear. (laughs) The world needs gathered evidence. And you are the evidence. Elijah told King Ahab, carry on eating and drinking because there's no evidence of any rain clouds in the sky. Carry on eating and drinking. Do what you were doing. So so what he did is he he bent bowed down to the ground and he began to pray and intercede that God would send a rain cloud. Six times, sorry, seven times his servant went out every day. Did, have you seen the cloud yet? Have you seen the cloud yet? No, 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 no. On the seventh day, or on the seventh time, he looked at it and sees the cloud, evidence. But in the meantime, Elijah was praying, but someone was going. The two must go together. The praying and the going must go together. But Ahab was eating and drinking, just so much like the church. She's eating and drinking. She's eating the food on the table. She's drinking the wine in the house, but she's not going. She's taking all the food. Do you know what happens when you eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and drink and drink and drink but have no exercise? You get a kingdom enlargement. And in your old age, you shall fat and Flourish. That's not what the kind of kingdom believer God wants. He doesn't want a kingdom enlargement. So many of us, we've got to look after ourselves because we're meant to go. We're meant to carry. Listen, stop saying you've got destiny and eat like you haven't got destiny. Because if you keep eating like you're eating, your only destiny is the grave. Don't tell me you've got giants to fight, wars to fight, cities to take, and eat like you're going nowhere. Hello, take care of your body. Your body carries destiny. Your destiny does not overrule any laws. Hello, it does not overrule stupidity and greed. Yeah, come on, look at yourself. You've got to stop eating some of the stuff we're eating. I'm going to start taking care of ourselves because if we're going, we need energy. We need health. Yes, we can't keep eating all the wrong stuff. When you're young, fill your boots. Get away with it when you are young. And as you get older, you realize you develop the middle, the top, the bottom, the sides, everything. And then you realize, I can't move anymore. True? We've got to look after ourselves, church. If we're going to the nations, we can't travel on McDonald's. Lord forbid we should ever travel on McDonald's. That's the kingdom of darkness, that place, I'm telling you. And every now we call it the golden arches. Go ye unto the golden arches and partake of the food thereof. No, no, that's not the sign of blessing. That's the sign of the grave. In that kingdom, there's sugar, there's calories, there's death and decay. Try the other one, salad. But just say, Can I have a burger on me salad? No, just set a salad. <laughs> it amazes me. People have the McDonald's salad and then go and get all the sauces. Bang it all on the sally, thinking, "What in earth is that?" So when Ahab, or so when when Elijah first first saw the, 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 the rain clouds begin, first thing he said to him, "Stop eating, stop drinking, hack, uh, uh, hack up your uh, hitch up your chariot and run. Go, go, leave this place." And it's like Exodus three chapter, sorry, chapter three verse seven. The Lord says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, aflowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, the Drawsdonites, the Gortanites, the Ashtonites, the Mankanites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, And I have seen the ways, the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. God is listening to the cries of our city. God can hear the cries of people crying out under oppression. God can hear the cry of the drunkard. God can hear the cry of the battered wife. God can hear the cry of the alcoholic and the drunkard. Sorry, the the drug addict. God can hear the despair of the lonely. Hello? God can hear the cry of the people who are stuck in church and going nowhere. God can feel the pain of the oppressors in our nation. God can hear it. God's hearing the cry of those who are oppressed under an Islamic regime. <clears throat> God's hearing the cry of the Jehovah's Witness who's, who wants a reality, but his religion can't give it him. The Mormon who's looking for something. God hears the cry of all people. They're not calling to his name, but he hears the frustration. And he says, I've heard it. They've come up before me, and I'm now going to send somebody to sort it out and deliver these people. Who does he look for? You. Not us. Not us. Not us. Why? Because us is dependent upon, well, if she does it, I'll do it. Yes, he looks for you. What did John say? I am a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. There was no us there. You go. The word comes, not, you're not called you go, it's called you go. You go and preach the good news. You. Now, if you can find another you, then it's us. Two yous make an us. That's called biblical science. Two yous make an us. And if two uses get together, it's now called we. But one's got to go. If one goes, he finds another partner who can go with him. Then we and an us can go. Amen? We have to go. God's hearing the cries of his people. This city is oppressed. We read last week, it's full of obstinate, proud, stubborn people. How do we know? You were one. You were once one of those people. So God begins to respond in verse 10 of that chapter. So now go, I'm sending you. Moses, you. So now go, I'm sending you. God makes someone responsible. Yeah. If you count yourself as being a true believer, then you're accountable. Hello? If you are a true believer, God will make you responsible. And the cries and the blood of our cities on our shoulders. We must understand this the the blood and the guilt of our cities on us. Well, we didn't commit it, no. But God's given us the mandate to go and tell them once we've told them, it's off our hands. They've got a choice. But how will they know unless we tell them? I hope you catch it in the spirit of go. So Moses says, "Where are you? Do you remember? Was it Delia Smith? Where are you? Where are you?" She says, "We need another man out here." What a great, great statement she made. Do you remember that? Some years ago, Delia Smith. She's the cha- one of the chair. She's on the board of Norwich City Football Club. One. Let's be having you, that's it. Let's be having you. We need someone else out here. That's the cry of the church. Delia was prophetic. Just let you know, City won that night, we beat them. <laughs> <laughs> she cried, where are you? Let's be having you. That's the same cry the church needs today. We need another man out here. Some of you are too young to understand that, but she made herself look rather silly, but her passion was there. She'd had an investment in that club. She's saying, we're playing like wallies and the crowd's not helping. The manager will go and sort the players out, but I'm talking to you, the crowd. She says, I'm addressing you. And you know, the crowd is often a 12th man. But you know, I'm talking to the 12th man, but in the 12th man, I'm talking to you. So come on, let's be having you. So now, go, I'm sending you. Where are you sending me to? To Pharaoh. To bring my people, the Drawsdonites, the Mankanites, the Gortonites, the Claytonites, the Bessakites. Come on, anyone else? The Ordenites, the Phelites, the Mosleyites. Who? The Ashtonites, the Ducanites. Hydeites. Staley, uh, the Staleyites. <laughs> then you've got nations, the Ghanites, the Congoleseites, the Englishites. Anyites you fall into, it's calling us. I'm going to send you to these people. So, in 1 Corinthians 12 it says, Brothers, think of what you were, when you were called in other words when jesus christ appeared to you think about what kind of reprobate you was think about where your life was going where it wasn't going not many of you were wise would you agree by human standards not many were influential not many were of noble birth but god chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise So the world thinks it's wise, but God chose the foolish things. So you and I are the foolish things. We're not fools, but we're the foolish things to shame the wise. Hello? You see this? He chose the lowly things. In other words, you weren't born of regal, royal inheritance. But now you become a kingdom, a priest, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. God's changed your position. Though you, weren't, you didn't come from royalty, he's now placed you in royalty. You're part of royalty. Amen? He chose the lowly things of this world and despised things. Not everybody likes what we say. Not everybody wants to hear what we say. Not everybody loves us. Get over it. And the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. He's not giving you an opportunity to boast about yourself. He's giving you an opportunity to boast about what he's doing in you. So it's because of him that you are in Christ, Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That he is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. It's wonderful to know that we don't feel qualified. It's great. That's why many of us don't go because we don't feel qualified. And you're absolutely right. In your natural strength, you don't match or you don't make the grade. But God chose you so he could demonstrate his power through you. God loves to take what looks beaten, finished, gone. God loves to take it, breathe his life into it and blow it into the wind to say, right, now go, my son. See what I can do through you. Now, remember, son, when you start getting momentum, remember, it's me what's doing it through you. The moment you do it for yourself and think that you belong in this world, doing these things, but using my name, stealing my name, stealing my power, you're on your own, son. And you know what? People will still get saved. People will still get saved. People will still get healed, even though you're backslid and doing it. Why? Because God's purpose is bigger than you. But you won't have the kingdom. You'll have signs and wonders, miracles, but you won't have the kingdom. It's a frightening thing to think that some people will settle for signs and wonders and for a great name, but they'll never have the kingdom. They'll never inherit the kingdom. That's a revelation over so many of his heads. You think when you've got Christ, you've got everything. You've got love, you've got forgiveness, you've got mercy, you've got his blessing, but you won't have the kingdom. You've got to enter the kingdom. You've got to qualify for the kingdom. got to qualify for it. How do you qualify it? By doing what he says. That's all you've got to do. Walk with him, talk with him, do what he says. You'll qualify. You don't have to take an exam. It's called obedience. So brothers, think about what you were before you were called. If I think about what I was, I was arrogant, stuck up, stupid, ignorant, full of fear, full of fear. God's done an amazing work in my life for me to stand here and speak to you. This was never my natural Ability to write the things I write. Never my natural ability. And many of you can stand here and say the same things. So I boast in God, what God is doing. Why? As long as I keep doing what he says, he'll keep empowering me. The moment I step out on my own will and think, I, I'm smart, Lord. I'm, I don't need you. I'm better than you. God says, go on your own, son. You're on your own. You and I today, we're not together. And back to Exodus chapter three. And God said, I'll be with you. It was his personal guarantee. His personal guarantee, Moses, that I'll be with you. Unlike Gideon, well, if it's you, what do you mean if it's me? When was the last time you saw an angel? How many angels have you seen, Gideon? None. Right then. I'll be with you, he says. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, see? You've got to do something first and you worship and, and we will worship God on the mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, uh, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? I think Moses was thinking a little bit smart here. He thought that he'd ask God a question that God couldn't answer. God says, that's easy. Just tell him, I am sent you. What do you mean I am? I am what I am. Or I am who I am. God doesn't need long sentences. I am who I am. The great I am has sent you. There is no greater name in the old universe, galaxy, cosmos, that does not know that name. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. Every demon in hell. Every dark power knows who he is. And what's he done? He's given you his name. Go in my name. That very name that every dark power recognizes. The only thing God can't do is go for you. God's done everything. He's triumphed on the cross. He's overcome death. He's done everything. All he says, go and use what I've got. You know, you have no problem if I put five pounds in your hand and says, go and use what I've just given you. You'd have no problem using it. You take the currency, you take the name on the currency, you would just go and you, would you not use it? Right. You'd see it as a benefit. But only in the church do we not take what's been given. We've got his name on it. We've got his guarantee on it. But no, no, in the church, we can't do it. So I am who I am. He says, go and you'll be a sign and a wonder to the people. We've got to stop looking for signs and be the sign. Church, we've got to do it. You know, there's many signs around us. What about you being a sign and a wonder? What about you being a sign and a wonder? When you've been in work, your family, your street, you can be a sign and a wonder. You can be a sign showing that heaven is real. You can be a wonder. People, you talk to people. People wonder. People wonder, often wonder when I talk to them, "What is this man? Who is it? Well, you're a pastor. What's that got to do with it?" I'm talking to people like you every day. You're talking to people like me every day. Just be yourself. That's all you have to be. You don't have to be. You don't have to come up with this formula of how to talk. Be show them the evidence. Ah, but I haven't got any. Right, well, at least acknowledge it. Acknowledge you don't have the evidence. Acknowledge before your father you don't have it. Get right with the Lord. Start walking with him and evidence will come. You, you stretch your hand out and he'll follow you. He'll back up. I guarantee it. Some people think that we need a large church before we can become impactful in our nation. We don't. We don't. You know, yesterday I was listening to a guy, uh, listening to Pastor Philip talk about a man, he, he goes to Mongolia quite a lot. Now, Mongolia was under a communist regime. So it's a very, very powerful nation that doesn't want to accept Christianity. And this young man in his 30s had a church of 3,000 people. 3,000 people. When Pastor Philip was speaking in his church, he said to Pastor Philip, you too to advance it over the people. The people can't understand what you're saying. So he kind of said to Philip, I don't want you no more. So Philip, every time went back into the nation, kept speaking to the other leaders and invited him in for a meal every now and then. And then he, he, this man comes into Philip's meeting sometime afterwards. And he sat there on the front. And after the meeting, he says, can I have a meal with you? So Philip went, yeah, okay. We've been here before. Let's have another meal. Okay. And he starts telling Philip, I'm a, what is it? What you've got that I don't have. Well, I told you. You told me. He said, can you come and preach in my church tomorrow? I said, well, you told me I'm too advanced. No, 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 no. Come and come speak in the church. Come and speak in the church. But over that meal, he begins to tell Pastor Philip that he's about to quit the ministry. Young lad, he's got the nation in his hand. 3,000 people. He says, I don't, when I pray, it's like heaven's closed. I know none of you have felt like that. He said, when I preach, bleh. So he said, but when you preach, heaven shows up. So Pastor Philip says, walk with him. If you just walk with God, walk with him. And as you walk with God, you'll lead the people. Not long after, the guy quits the ministry. He loses the ability to affect a whole nation because he would not go with the one who was telling him to go. Some people want to do, but you've got to walk with the one who's telling you to go. If you don't walk with the one that's telling you to go, what you do is futile. Church, you must walk with him. Every day you must walk with him. You must learn to speak with him. You must learn to hear his voice. You must learn to feel his breath upon your life. So when you go, everything you go with, you're going with current current, um, relationship. You're going with a relationship. Let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you about my dad. Let me tell you about the Savior. The one I know. People don't want to know what you know. They want to know the one who you know. Don't tell them what you know. Tell them the one you know. Amen? And I'm coming to believe that God is coming to a point in our church where God is beginning to sift this church. Because not every one of you will go. Not every one of you wants to go do what's in your father's heart. I understand that. Now, what someone doesn't want to do today down the line, they find a heart to do. Because I sat in church for years and didn't do anything. But someone in church, it's a time to bring the years to an end. It's a time now to step up. Stop using your age, stop using your background, stop using your, your credentials, your lack of them as a, an excuse and as a reason. God's saying, stop it. I'm sick of it. Stop it. Stand to your feet. I'm the one who's calling you. And think about what you were before you were chosen. I'm the one who's gonna do it in your life, not you. None of you can achieve anything in your own. But I can do it through you. All I need is a vessel. And and someone will say, Yes, I will. Become that vessel. It's called an agent of change. So in Judges chapter 7 verse 1, he said, Early in the morning, morning Jerubal back to Gideon again. And all his men camped at the spring of Harod. They came to the Midianites and the valley near the hill of Moriah. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. What do you mean you have too many men? You can never have enough men for a war." In order that Israel will not boast against me, that her own strength has saved her. God knows the nature of his own people. He knows the nature of his own people. Come to our church, we're big. That's the nature. That's a boastful nature. Oh, don't go to that church down the road. They've only got 20 people. Come to our church, we've got 100. It's a boastful nature. Like numbers means you're better. Numbers doesn't mean anything. You know what? The same rebellious in 20 is the same rebellious in 100. The nature of people is the same. doesn't matter how big the crowd is. Well, we have better music, but still can't touch heaven. They might have 20 people, but bring heaven in. So what you determine is better is not always better. Hello? I've often wondered, I've often wondered, God, why don't you give me a violinist and a saxophonist? I have. Why don't you give us, and no, no disrespect to anyone who's, who, who sings up here, why don't you give me the voice of a nightingale? He says, Tony, everybody else has got them and don't know how to use them. He said, but look at your guys. Look at your guys. Look what I can do for your guys. If I bring the top-notch professionals in, it'll change your dimension. I said, okay, Lord, just bring me one that's not perfected. But bring me a saxophonist. Bring me another guitarist. God says, you've got all that you need to do the job. I said, but Lord, I want a big team. I want, I want three or four guys, three or four teams. God says, shut up. You've got the one I give you. You don't think I've prayed for more musicians? You don't think I want to get out of playing the guitar? I want to get out of playing the guitar. I don't want to have to play the guitar. I just want to get the microphone and, and lead. And obviously, with Pat being sick, I've had to step back into that. But the grace has been there. People say, "Are you a guitar player?" I'm not a guitar player. People say, "What are you?" I say, "I'm a blonker. <laughs> I the guitar." When you see a good guitarist, you know what a good guitarist sounds like, and I'm not one. But guess what? We can bring heaven down with two strings. We can bring heaven down with two strings. We've got, we've got enough. We're training these young guys. These young guys are stepping in. Now we've got the next generation. We've got young Daniel coming and playing the drums. He's shown a desire. We're training people up. All the resources are already in the house. We're looking for, sometimes we look for hired help. God's got a way of sifting this thing right down because He knows our nature is to boast. And I remember being in this church many years ago when, when I first walked in the worship, we worshiped the worship. And where are, all, where are all those guys today? And God stripped down the house to sugar and spice, me and Claire. We had to lead that one. Morning. All our musicians walked out, left us over a period of time. And it left me and Claire to hold the baby. And guess what? We're still holding the baby. We've become the parents. God's given us everything we need. I thank God when God streamlined down the house, we were still here, Claire. We were still here. Thank God that God stripped us down. And for years, we had no drummer. No drummer. Before that, we had old Morris. Do you ever remember old Morris? No, some of you won't remember old Morris. I know some of you guys. And Morris used to, he was in the big band. That was the kind of drummer we had in those days. And then for years we had no drummer. And then we had a few dipsticks come along and cause us trouble. Cause us trouble in the house. And we never could get a drummer. So for years we had no drummer. And then all of a sudden an angel comes along. Joel comes on. A fresh generation came along. And then all of a sudden, Scott rose up and wanted to play the drums. And then Niza came up. And all of a sudden, all the resources were in the house. And God has a way of giving us what we need. And I thank God for our young people. I thank God for you. Because you're a joy to my heart. Because you're taking hold of the responsibilities in the house. But it's time to go with what we've got. But God's sifting us down, church. Don't expect the church to be a thousand. If you can't go with 80 or 90, what good's a thousand? Now, if you're joining the church, please don't join to sit. Seriously, do not join to sit. Join to go. Join with us. Let us empower you. Let us train you so that you can be effective where you work, where you live. Where you dwell. Because God will keep streamlining us down. Streamlining us down. Until he gets the right company of people. And in Gideon here. last, And we're finishing on this. I promise. On this. He said this one to go. And he'll go. But if I say. Oh hang on. Where have I gone? I've lost my scripture now. Take them down to the water. He said in verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men, take them down to the water, and I'll sift you, I'll sift them there for you. And if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say that one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. Then the Lord told him, Separate those who lapped the water with their tongues, like a dog. Those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands. To their mouths, all the rest go down to their knees to drink. the Lord said to Gideon with these 300 men now we start with 3,000, we now go down to 300. that's one heck of a church split. with 300 men that lack I will save you and the Midianites into the hands and let all the other men go back to his own place He gives them an option: all those who are frightened go home. Now let me give you a very bold statement. All those who are frightened and don't want to go, find another church. That's a very bold statement. Well, we won't be able to pay the bills. Guess what? Better with the 20 that will go than the 20 that won't go. Seriously. God is trying to, God is using this church to go to the city, to reach the city. We need those, those who, look. listen to what he did when he said, sit down and lap. When you get down you put your face down and your lap, what you've done, you've taken your eyes off the focus. So, so many people are so focused on their own needs. They want water for themselves. They want food for themselves. They never look up to see how they can take and give to somebody else what they've received themselves. But there was a company of people who kept looking and did that. They did not put the weapons down. They knew how to sustain sustain themselves with what was being given in the midst of the call. Keep your eyes on heaven. Seriously, we need a church that will go. We need a kingdom of people who will rise. Amen? You can't say, spirit, break out and sit. You can't sing that song, spirit, break out. Break our walls down and sit. The walls are on the inside. Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. Please understand, I'm not telling you to get lost. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to draw a line in the sand. If you want a church that will just feed you and feel nice, then this is not the place. Do you know, not many pastors will say that. Not many pastors will say that. And I'm not telling you to get lost. That's not what I'm saying. That's not my heart at all. What I'm saying is we need soldiers. We need servants. We need sons in the house. People who will go, rise up and go. Our greatest moment has not yet come upon us. Because if it had come upon us, we're finished. For some churches, their greatest moment's been and gone. What they're doing now is just holding hands until they all pass away. But we've not even got our greatest moment yet. For some pastors, they give the right arm to have what we've got. But you know what? This is not. This is not it. We've not gone yet. There's so many warriors in this room. All you need is training. You know, to arise, advance, accelerate, execute. Revival now in Manchester. Agents have changed. High visibility. Maximum. Everything's crying out in this church. Young people. Young people. Now, if you're young, if you're below, nine, if you're below 100, you're young. So, Margaret, you still get in. As long as you can speak, you still get in. As long as you put your hand out and help people, you're still in. We don't want the gospel. Now we've got the gospel of salvation. Let's move to the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. What did the Bible say? John, Matthew, sorry, Matthew. The kingdom of God suffers violence and violent men lay hold of it. Take it by force. Different translations in different Bibles. Hey. We are that we will be the generation. Amen. Let's raise our hands. We will. Tonight, we're really going to pray about this. Consolidate it in the spirit. Let's go with the ritual, ritual prayer that Jesus told his disciples. Pray for workers in the harvest field. The harvest is guaranteed. The issue is the workers. Always will be the workers. It's a shame that the workers determine the size of the harvest. Always the workers. So the workforce must be addressed. It must be encouraged. It must be empowered. It must be, from time to time, rebuked. Because all scripture is used for teaching, training, rebuking people in righteousness. So we need the word to challenge us. Amen. Amen. Hear the word of the Spirit today, not hear the word of the pastor. So, Father, right now, come on, stand before heaven and say, I hear the call. I'm not going to be like Gideon. I'm going to take what you're saying, Lord. I don't feel qualified, but it's not about what I feel. It's about what you're telling me. I'm nervous, Lord. God says, it's okay, I can work with nerves. Just don't fear so much that it stops you from going. It's easy giving someone a piece of bread. It's easy to go and give someone some food. It's, hard, it's not hard. But when you give it to them, tell them, I love you. Tell them why you're giving it to them. Give them an option. Give them a choice. Go and demonstrate. Go and bring them evidence of the kingdom. Church, go and show your neighbors the evidence of the kingdom. Go and show them that Christ is alive in you. Can we do that, church? Seriously, we've got to do it. Show people that Christ is alive in us. Oh, Holy Spirit. Right now, Father, we're asking you to break out. Sovereignly break out amongst us. Do a unique work amongst the Dream Center. We love you, Lord. We love you. And we want you to break out in our midst. Break out in the young people. Break out in the older people. Break out in every person. Break out in our children. Break out, Lord. Let everything in this, let everything has breath. Let it break out and praise the Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go and do it.